So I, I just want to ask you this, because your practice has a lot of cases involving uh, government agencies. And you're going to talk to us about a couple of interesting cases. But just as a start off, in your practice, what is the main concern you hear from your clients about government? Because that's a central factor that we hear as well. It's just overall with our, our cases, but it, you're in a unique situation. So tell us what those concerns are. There's absolutely no trust for government. Really? None. None. That nothing. I'm so shocked. <laughs> that there's nothing that they're telling us that is truthful, accurate, and it's all self-serving. And Canadian will, government. Yes, Canadian and government. Governments. I think it would extend to many other governments. Because um, you're multi-jurisdictional. Yeah, I'm throughout the country, and I and I work with folks in the U.S. and we co-counsel and. And uh, there's a lack of trust for the American government. Uh, I think the problem with the states now is there's a lack of trust for the judiciary after what's happened with the um, decisions recently with the, the abortion pill. When a judge in, in Texas, the yeah, when the judge in Texas banned a, a drug, uh, the abortion pill that had been our, our viewers will get my skepticism about trusting judges in the United States. But go on. Yeah, I mean, for a judge to impose his or her views over the FDA who approved a drug 23 years ago. And fortunately, you know, can't believe that the Supreme Court has disagreed with him and the drug is still on the market. But no judge should ever be uh, usurping the role of the FDA or Health Canada. I agree. Uh, that, that's just, that's, that's a, a step too far. Uh, so there's a lack of, lack of trust for government in general. And I can tell you, after being involved with some of these cases over the last six, seven years, I am so f***ing fed up with the bullshit lines that some staffer gave to the Prime Minister or the Minister of Global Affairs to say, everything's fine, we're doing the best we can, we want to help these people. Bullshit. You don't. Okay, so let's frame things a little bit because, you know, in the first podcast, we didn't introduce you. So I want you to talk a little bit about you, what you do in your practice, mm -hmm. and you know how involved you are with government and government agencies and lawsuits, just so people understand. Because we have in our in in my criminal law practice a lot of skepticism about government overreach. So you're a different bailiwick, mm -hmm. but talk about you a little bit so that we can introduce you to our viewership. So I started in '97, basically doing personal injury work not out of choice, out of necessity. It's the job I found. Never thought I would be an ambulance chaser. But you're not. Well, that's I, not a, that's a crude way of putting your no, sophisticated but, but practice. I, but I will tell you that in 2000, I think it was 2005 when the Air France plane crashed, I got retained on that case. We got some good press. And then if you remember uh, John Derringer, yeah. back in the day on Q107, excuse me, referred to me by name as the dink of the day because I was the ambulance chasing piece of shit that clearly was only in it for the money. Right. Okay. My wife reminds me There's to this day. There's nothing like press, good <laughs> or bad. Well, it works no matter what. You know what? Dink of the day is a, is a badge of honor. So, um, so I, when I, I started as a personal injury lawyer and then found myself getting involved with these bigger cases 
Air France being probably the largest case I had worked on. That's a major case. It was a major case. Um, it was a, rightfully so. And it was a fascinating case. We had there were twenty five people who had suffered physical injuries, yeah. and then some serious psychological injuries. Um, so that was a fascinating case, and then it just sort of grew into this medical device pharmaceutical work because, to be honest, all the law firms in Toronto were starting to advertise. Um, not what I would consider tier one firms. And they were getting all this work and I had to find an alternative to motor vehicle slip and fall, just the traditional personal injury. And I was able to, I've had connections uh, since 03 with US lawyers when I started working on 9-11. Uh, when we we acted, we act for the 26, 26 families that lost nine eleven family members. Families members, yeah. That case goes on, uh, still going on today. Um, so that that relationship with that one firm in South Carolina has continued, and work on uh, medical device and pharmaceutical cases with them, including the opioids class action. Excuse me, and um, then really in twenty seventeen when I moved firms, when I joined Howie Sachs and Henry. They gave me a green light to just go, seriously, ape great. find the out-of-the-box cases. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't want I to, love that. I didn't want to do uh, personal injury, like just the standard. Not that it wasn't important, because it is, but I wanted something different. I wanted something with a social justice bent. I wanted something where I was making a real difference um, in, a, in a bigger fashion. And, and that's why... You know, when we get involved with the veterans, I, got, yeah, I yeah. mean, um, roll it into a couple of important cases yeah, now, but so, we got a bit of background on you now, which is, you know, great. Yeah. So, so roll it into a couple of important cases yeah, you're on now. Probably one of the most important cases that I'm working on right now is the case against the government of Canada, the Department of National Defense for uh, administering a drug from 1992 until about 2017 called mefloquine, which is an Right, and I think we spoke about that on our previous yeah, podcast Yeah, we did briefly. Yeah. Um, but this is a really it's, it, sad situation. It's a sad situation, and there's a couple things you have to realize. When you come from a certain background, and military was never in the mindset of, maybe I'll go to the military. It wasn't my, yeah. in our household. Um, you know, I would say, if I met a, a soldier, I would say thank you for your service. Because that's what you're supposed to say. Oh, we should. You should. Yeah. After spending a couple weekends meeting veterans and hearing what they went through in Somalia, Rwanda, during the genocide, speaking and meeting um, uh, Romeo Dallaire, who's one of our clients, and listening to what people went through in Afghanistan, I now have a very new appreciation of thank you for your service. Right. Because I know that's something I, not only would I never do, I don't have it in me. These people are very, very special. Um, the idea with the mefloquine case, if they refuse to take the drug before they're deployed, they would be told, well, you're not being deployed. Now, for me and a lot of other people, you think, that's great. I don't have to put my life on the line. And then when I would say that to them, 
They got mad at me. They wanted to do their service to the country. They trained for this. Right. This is their. This is their thing. They're okay with putting their lives on the line. It's their Super Bowl. It is. Yeah. And to miss out on that is a disgrace. Remind everybody, because we had this on a previous yeah. book. What was that medication for? It was an anti-malarial drug right. that you'd have to take four to six weeks before you entered the theater or on before your deployment. Before you deployed. And uh, you would have to take it once a week. Um, and it was, and each, whatever day you were assigned to, the battalion ended up calling, Mondays were Manic Mondays. Uh, Tuesdays were Tuesdays and Thursdays were Terror Tuesdays or Terror Thursdays. Wacky Wednesdays because they would take the drug and they would start having these hallucinations at night. How terrible. Um, there are veterans who were, who were in Somalia on the dreaded day that say that, say that um, the soldiers that were involved with killing the Somalian uh, had taken mefloquine and they were not acting normal. That this was definitely, they believe, a function of mefloquine. Do I know that for a fact? I don't. Um, but I can tell you that I had friends who took mefloquine, who've told me since I got involved with the case, because it was a drug given to anybody who was traveling in an area where there was malaria. And I've talked to a number of people now over the years who said, Say this slowly, because this is like really important. It's a medication you could take. When you're going to a country that has malaria yeah. as an issue. That's right. And it was the number one anti-malarial that was being prescribed between 92, probably 2010, 2012, at least by doctors, um, as a first-line defense to malaria because it was a once-a-week pill. It was easier, right, than having to remember to take a pill daily. And I've had probably three or four friends say, Oh my God, like I had horrible nightmares. I had, I like really screwed up, f***ed up for like months. Now, the difference between a veteran or a military member and you or me having it prescribed is that we had a choice. We could They had no choice, otherwise they, had, they would not be deployed. Not only would they not be deployed, Romeo Dallaire... Were they sanctioned for this? Well, Romeo Dallaire, when he was general... Uh, of the Canadian troops in Rwanda was told, if you do not take the, me the me take mefloquine, you will be court-martialed. That's our general. Really? Yeah. So if you're... That was the hierarchy in the military. Yeah. That was the Canadian government telling Dallaire. Because Dallaire pleaded... Did that come from... I just... I, I'm going to drill down. Pardon the expression. Did this come from the military or from the actual government who's not military? That I can't tell you yet. Delaire I really me, want to drill down on that. Delaire tells us it was the Department of Defense. Now. Yeah, so I, are these f***ing civil servant garbage? Or, or are we talking military physicians and well, scientists working so, on this? So military physicians were involved. There are some physicians who did not want it to be used because they had real question marks about the... Efficacy the and efficacy, the validity of it. Yeah. Um, and we've talked to those doctors, but again, they were military and they had to follow orders. You follow orders. Yeah, no, Where, I get that in the, the military. Wherever the order comes from. Now, you would think that the order comes, you know, does the order come from the highest level of the Canadian government? 
My guess is yes, because at the end of the day, this is a cost issue. If you're taking one pill every day, it's going to cost more than one pill once a week. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. And if you're talking about well, 1992 to, yeah. to 2017. What was the government in power then? I think it was conservatives that started. And then when there was the was Somali- liberals during that. the Somalia inquiry, yeah. when they got to the Mefloquine issue, Kretchen shut the inquiry down. The liberals were there in power. They I mean, were. I'm not saying conservative or liberals. I'm just saying uh, both all were blind both to the gover- issues. Both governments between 92 and 2017 have been in power. And they all continued to make sure that mefloquine was being used. Unless you could show some reason why you couldn't take the pill. And then you would take doxycycline, which was a once a day pill. For your skin. Doxycycline was an anti-malarial. Yeah, it was bullshit. That uh, dead medication. So it's good to clear up your skin. Yeah. So it's it was, and now these guys. What's the lasting effects of this? So there's a similar. Well, it's a brainstem injury. Because okay, just so. just to segue for a second. So again, you know, we've talked about a little bit about how government intervention and overreach impacts individual autonomy and health. Mm-hmm. So. Um, a little bit out of my bailiwick with criminal law, but we're interested in this as to what the lasting effects are and what's the medical science behind it. All right, so, so there's, a, there's a brainstem injury that it causes. It, it causes potentially, not everyone has the same symptoms, but it includes tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears, hallucinations, vivid dreams, violent vivid dreams, memory loss, anger, uh, depression. So a lot of the symptoms do overlap with PTSD. And that's what... The Hard gu- to tease it out. If Hard, you're in service, that's right. in combat... That's right. But there are ways to tease it out. There are some tests that are being developed by a doctor in the United States named Remington Nevin, who is uh, who works um, uh, with veterans fighting for disability with Veterans Affairs and has been successful and getting a hundred percent disability for mefloquine toxicity. So, talk to me a little bit about how it is to get information out of the government through your litigation process, because you, you've got documentary discovery, you know, uh, discovery process where you can cross-examine uh, and you know get individuals before a examiner. What's it like? Like, how hard is this? Um, it is slower than a snail or a turtle trying to run a race to get documents out of them because what they're what they do is they rely on national security and say we need to do a, I think it's called a section 38 review which takes forever and they put one person in a room in Ottawa you can't even have your cell phone in there and you start redacting documents you start redacting documents so it is unbelievably can you slow. challenge that at all you can What's that like? Haven't gone through it yet, but I. You'd have to go through the federal court. Oh yeah, everything here is federal court, and uh, the one thing that I have learned with my co-counsel, who has fought federal court cases quite often, um, is that the federal court judges don't believe the government. Oh, talk about that for a moment. Okay, (laughs) you got me interested there. Okay, I want to hear that one. So. one of the best examples 
my co-counsel John Phillips, um, rightly or wrongly, acted for Omar Khadr. Whatever, it's fine. Because John is a believer of someone's rights must be protected. And so are we. So I get that. Regardless of who your client is, it's important for our democracy. That's right. 100%. And Omar Khadr was in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, He had been captured as a child soldier in Afghanistan, brought to Guantanamo Bay. He had killed an American soldier. Yep. He was not in uniform, so it was considered murder. Yep. Um, and his rights were being infringed in Guantanamo Bay. Yep. And the Supreme Court, twice, in the, twice the Canadian Supreme Court, ordered the Canadian government, essentially, I believe, to get the kid back to Canada. And they didn't. The government refused to follow. I, I remember that clearly. And so in the civil suit, you know, they were able to recover uh, in a settlement $10 million for Omar Khadr. Were people upset? Yes. But there's a greater principle that Mr. Phillips was pursuing, and I give him all the credit in the world for that. And and that's why it's important for, you know, have someone like him there because he has had the experience of seeing what the federal bench, how the federal bench views the federal government. And there is a lack of trust and, and believability of the federal government in the court system. And more. <laughs> Tell me more. Well, you know, it's, it's important because well, it is. A, I mean, know. because they hide documents, they redact stuff that shouldn't be redacted. I mean, we've got documents in one case where through an ATIP, like a freedom of information request, where someone just f-ed up the redaction. And we've got we're seeing information that we should not see based on national security. Right. And I know the Department of Justice is furious, yeah, yeah. but they can't do a thing about it, right? So there is a, the, the federal bench, I understand, views the government as not honest and they lack the trustworthiness that a, a party to a lawsuit should have in their position. Interesting, And, okay. you know, we, um, the problem that I see is the federal government in lawsuits is not trying to do anything but protect their own ass. And that's not the role of your federal government. Your federal government is to protect the people. And if the federal government has put people in a compromising situation, they need to atone for it. They're slowly doing that with First Nations now. But how long did that take? Oh. How long has that taken? Decades. And now, more than that, right? It's you know, We have to discover bodies first. Right. And it's time for the government to stop acting like a typical defendant, like an insurance company, defending someone in a car accident, and realize if you f***ed up, pay the people that worked for you. Well, yeah. I mean... I, I... Because you can save a lot of time and effort and free up a lot of other resources for more important things if you would just come to the table and say, Yeah, okay, we f***ed up. We f***ed up. Even if it happened decades ago, here's what we got to do. Let's fix this. But there's a lot of hyperbole about how they go about it. Yep. And they will fight, 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 fight until they have they realize that the, that the courts are going to just destroy them. So even when their back is against the wall and the government knows that 
it's not going to go their way in the court system, mm -hmm. they will still obfuscate and you will never get the exact facts. Is that really the situation? Because that's what I believe. That's what I'm starting to feel. No matter what. I'm starting to feel that. They can settle it and come to, come to the fore, but you'll, you're never going to get the goods, even if they settle. Probably not. And if you do settle and get the goods, most likely there's going to be a non-disclosure agreement. Meaning, you can't explain do, you, to our audience A non-disclosure agreement that means. means that you can't talk about the amount of money that was paid. You can't talk about the facts. They're not admitting liability. We've settled Covered. the case. Yeah. Boom. Now, the only thing is... You know, one of our cases, like we talked about last time, Havana, um, they're going to have trouble hiding the facts because when, if we, I can't, I can't stop loving that case because yeah. it's just crazy. so we, you know, we've got, you know, seven, seven kids as part of the, of the, of the, uh, the cohort. And if we settle the case, we've got to go get court approval, meaning the court has to sign off, hear on the this, facts, yeah. listen to the facts, hear the amount of money why this is the right amount of money, and then write about it. I don't see how they can... Navigate that. Without... They're yeah, not yeah. going to have a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, yeah. So that's one advantage. So in like Mefloquine, we don't have any minors. Um, and I can tell you that in speaking to certain clients, they would... Their goal is to expose the government more than get compensation. I get that. Yeah, so I think there are some that that's going to be their goal. They'll go to trial. Just that, to expose government. Just to expose them, to, even though they might lose. And they could be saying no to a, a good offer, let's say. But they want the day in court. And they, and want, the do, they want the documents shown. And it, it, it is shocking to see. We, now, we do know that in 1992... The drug company made an agreement with the government that the government could do, conduct a clinical trial, because the drug wasn't approved yet, mm -hmm. for the soldiers going to Somalia. But they did not follow any of the clinical trial protocol. How do you, like, how do you not come I to the table uh. on Somalia and say, okay, let's talk about this cohort. Let's talk about the guys in Somalia who were forced to take a drug that had not even been approved by Health Canada yet. These are the people that we entrust with honoring our country and defending us and going off to a foreign country to assist in a multi <laughs> you know, yeah. multinational yeah. you know, effort. And this is how we treat them. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 you know, part of you coming on here is because I, I feel very deeply about mm -hmm. this. And... It's horrible. Well, so do I. I mean, it's, um, you know, when I was... Our, 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 our soldiers and our veterans, I mean... Well, that's why I start with, you know, I used to say thank you for your service just because you're supposed to. Yeah. And now, you know, I, I, was, I was in an airport. I was in Washington last week. And there was an announcement in the departure area. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a flight arriving from Austin, Texas in about 20 minutes. The flight has 40 veterans from Vietnam on it. Please welcome them. Oh, let, that's so interesting. Now, let me tell you, when these veterans came off, and some were in wheelchairs being rolled up, pushed by younger Marines, others walked, and they have their hats, very proud. There had to be 500 people in the departure lounge up on their feet, <laughs> clapping. I called my wife. I was like in tears. Yeah. 
Because that would never happen here. I don't know if it would never happen. It's just not orchestrated the same way. We are not of the same ethos. We're not. Although we are indebted to every single person who puts on a uniform to defend the country or further our interests as a soldier of this country. And I'm a firm believer in that. I hate government. I got to tell you. Everybody knows who watches this podcast, Trudeau. But, you know, wait, wait, you, our soldiers... You, wait, wait, hold on. You think Trudeau watches the podcast? No. that's <laughs> No, he doesn't. But if he does, he knows I'm, he's never going to appoint me as a judge. But, like, and if Pierre does, Pierre Poulier becomes a... a, a same thing. Right. But, you know, we, we need to have that with our soldiers, for good or for bad. That's our protection, and we should honor them, past and present. Yeah, we don't. And we don't the way we should. We don't. Uh, and this case ta- is disgusting. Yeah, we take it for granted. And every time you have the government doing things like they have with Mefloquin, yeah, or anything else that hurts the military, it discourages people from joining. And that's a problem. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That is a problem. I agree. Because... I agree. You know, you don't know when you're going to need your military to go to war and protect the country. Well, we only had to uh, um, evacuate um, our diplomatic uh, individuals from Sudan, and we had to rely on the U.S. to get them out. Yeah, absolutely. Did you read? I saw that. Now, now I I may not be completely accurate, but we have diplomats and our our civil servants in Sudan in a crisis and we had to have them uh, removed and we had to rely on the United States. God bless them with their uh, their Navy SEALs and their special forces. I'm disgusted. God bless the United States for helping, but I'm disgusted in our country. Yeah. And but at least they got them. They They got them uh, out. unlike, Unlike Havana, when the Americans got out and left the in the Canadian state, at least Canada Decide, let's follow the American lead on this. But every time the government does something like this... We have planes and special forces. What the f*** is wrong with our country? And why don't we treat our... Uh, 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 sorry, I'm we don't. We don't, because we take them for granted. Um, and the other thing, what I have found, and this is going to sound terrible, and I apologize, this is not intended to offend any veteran or member of the military, because I have the utmost respect. We do, yeah. Um, what I have found is, you know, a lot of these men and women come from small towns, from the prairies or from the East Coast, where you only have certain options. And, so what? And it's so, a highest service. Right. And so the military, the Canadian military, takes advantage. They take advantage. They make serving promises. Our, look, serving our country as a military member is a high service yeah. that we should all respect as citizens. We are indebted to them, and we should treat them with the utmost respect and help, no matter what stage they're going in. And I am, I am disgusted at how our country well, deals with them. I'm disgusted how we have to, when our, our, our diplomats and our soldiers are at risk, how we have to rely on other sources. Well, you know, you just go to a, a hockey game, and I, I'm very aware now when they honor a military person every game. The number of people that don't stand up is shocking and clap. It is shocking. And especially I see kids sitting there. And I got to tell you, if I saw a kid, not my kid, any kid, sitting there, stand up, stand up. 
you know, and because uh, we saw, I saw some kids. They were they were American kids in this airport last week. They were all on their feet. They were all on their feet clapping. So that was that was. Can we just transition to planes down? Planes, sure. You want to talk about trains or automobiles? Do you no, want just to planes, planes down. Planes you down. got another interesting yeah, case. Yeah, Ukrainian Airlines. Yeah, that's horrific. January 8th, 2020. Um, early hours of the morning, Eastern Time. Uh, Ukrainian Airlines flight uh, 752 is supposed to take off. It's the end of the Christmas holidays. From where? Tehran. Oh, yeah, okay. This is filled with mostly Canadian citizens. That's right. And landed immigrants or students who are... Sorry about the chair. It's okay. <laughs> um, um, this it's my was, fault. I got WD. So whatever. there were 138 people on that flight that were Canadian citizens or Canadian residents or students who were coming back from Christmas holidays. Um, and they could fly. The cheapest way to go to Tehran to visit family was you fly through Kiev. So you would do Tehran to Kiev, Kiev to Toronto. Um, and... Um, Earlier in the week, um, the the Americans going back into late December, Americans in Iran were having issues, and yeah, it was in, Trump who in, in early January, uh, Trump ordered the killing of General Soleimani in Iraq by drone, and that changed the landscape. Um, yeah, I talked to I, shoot down a civilian plane. Well, I talked to a uh, individual, former intelligence officer with the American military the other day and he said if you look at the history of the United States with Iran they never went after anything in Iran as as retribution they would go after proxies but Soleimani was different was he a terrorist he was a yes. hard well he was yeah. a hard target he was a hard target but that's not something they usually did and so that night before the flight took off Iran fired ballistic missiles into Iraq um, I remember this clearly. And we have the hardest thing to deal with right now are the text messages family members have from family that were getting on that plane. We have we have a message. But 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 let's let's yeah. let's just frame this for a second. Okay. The plane was shot down by who and why? It was It's a civilian f-ing plane. It's a civilian plane. That has nothing to do with whatever the U.S. No. government decided to do so, regarding an Iranian military terrorist who's a proxy for terrorism across the yeah, world. So if you don't want to watch my show, this was, knock yourself this wasn't, out. This was not a terrorist attack. Let's, let's be very clear. This was not what a Iran did? Yeah, it was not. No, no, no. Attack. I'm not saying okay. that. So but this, it's in response to the U.S. taking out an Iranian operative, who's a general, yep. and this poor plane gets shot down yeah so the plane, why so the plane takes off in a in a because they're the, hard they're the hard typical. to tell they're hard to distinguish between like a fighter jet right no they're not because of the transponder except i mean they're bigger yeah but you know we the, what you have to understand I'm just there's, with there's a here. difference between the iranian military and the iranian revolutionary guard yeah okay? i know that so the revolutionary guard is a poorly trained force that are zealots that will do anything for the Ayatollah. And essentially, once the plane took off, it was on a path that was going to pass over a major uh, military uh, installation. Installation. In Iranian territory. Yes. And 
It's a f***ing plane. It's a f***ing plane that this... It's a passenger plane. That this guy... What was, what was the airline? Uh, it was Ukrainian Airlines. And does it not have a uh, transponder code? It does. It does. What does it say? Uh, I have no idea. U.S. fighter jet? I have no idea, but clearly this guy... It doesn't say U.S. fighter this jet. This guy does did not have clearance. This guy did not clear it with anybody. Okay. He acted on his own. Sent up some fighter jets to check it out. Um, and the, what happened was when the first missile hit the plane. Yeah, I know. But was there any fighter jets that went up first from Iranian air? Because they have an outstanding air force. No, there was no, They're capable of sending up yeah. uh, MiG fighters or whatever yeah, to go check nothing. out whatever's there. There was nothing up in there. They can tell when it's coming into their airspace. You know, they can see if it's, a, 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 you know, a civilian aircraft. Yeah, listen, uh, they're poorly trained. Clearly, they're poorly trained. Um, he shot two missiles, 25 seconds apart. We know that they were alive for 25 seconds after the first plane, after the first missile. The missile didn't, the missile didn't kill the people. The missile brought the plane down, then the crash in the, into the ground killed everyone. And How were, horrific is that? Um, Give an idea. Just so everybody understands what this kind of f***ed up is by a f***ed up military. Well, you know, I might... Not this has anything to do with criminal law. No, but we believe... Well, it does. But I am, a, I am a guy who's very shrewd about you know, international politics. So we don't... We don't and know, international relations. We don't know the guy's name, but we understand, quote-unquote, that uh, his trial was going on, I think, a couple months ago. We believe it was a guy that they just put there. That the guy who did the who shot you mean the you mean dead. the government had set up a sacrificial lamb yeah because it it like look they've killed the guy who shot the plane down <sighs> they killed the guy after because they he up and they knew it they tried to hide it for two or three days the fact that Trudeau was the first to come out and say we believe the Iranian government the military shot the plane down shows you how bad the cover up was yeah <laughs> Trudeau found it. Um, and, uh, it had to be laid out on his plate. Yeah, so I mean, it's we believe that the guy who shot the missiles has been killed, and this was just a so a, 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 a guy that they put on trial for the hell of it. But you know, we got 138 people dead, uh, 138 people dead, and you know it's horrible, and and the families live with it, and I mean, and understand these were all Iranians basically. There were a few. Well, we care about them. We care about any civilian uh, killed in an atrocity where a government took a capricious act yeah. without due process, without checking out what the f*** is going on, well, regardless of what the belligerent did. Look, you know, I, I, I'm not going to get into it because okay. I don't think the act of the United States was that bad in all the circumstances. <laughs> but that said, when it comes to civilians, there's a rule in play. Absolutely. And Absolutely. we have to be careful. Around the world. And, and, That's part of our international relations. Well, and this will end up in the International Criminal Court. But okay. they have no teeth. Oh, okay, okay. No teeth. Yeah. Okay, um, okay. Listen, they're still dealing with MH17 at, uh, at the International Criminal Court. How are you going to get success? Let's just talk in a few minutes because the Leafs are going to lose. I mean, are going to win this next game. They're playing tonight. Sorry. Um, but tell me, tell me, tell me, sh you're coming back. Because I want to know more about this. But what's the game plan right now? We're, we we sued Ukrainian Airlines because they should never have taken off that night. They've got a big insurance policy. They didn't do a safety or security risk assessment properly. And they have... They're suing the, Ukrainian Airlines. Yeah. They have any money left? <laughs> they have a $750 million insurance policy. Okay. We actually had to do the discovery. We did the discovery in December of 2019 in Paris because we couldn't go 
anywhere near the Ukraine as uh, the Russians were mounting their forces on the borders at that time. Um, you know where I do my discoveries? <laughs> like in Brampton, Newmarket. You have to go to Paris. I got to go to Paris for a week. Oh, okay. Um, I definitely... <laughs> are you hiring? <laughs> Send me your resume. <laughs> okay. But no, so we have a trial set for November. Yeah. Uh, a two-week trial where we've done a special trial plan where all the evidence is coming in by way of affidavit. Interesting. Um, Very good. And okay. that way... Only cross-examination is going to be live. Maybe a little brief direct. Uh, we want to get this done in two weeks. And again, it's a reverse onus, meaning that the Ukrainian airlines has to prove they were not negligent in taking off. Okay, so just let me ask you one question. What's the liability of the Iranian authorities? Nothing right now. I'm not well, blaming you. I no, love no. you. With us? We don't care. Okay, go There on. are lawsuits out there. There are, I know. And they're going to go nowhere because... You can't collect? You can't collect because the last $4 billion was claimed by the American government for the 9-11 victims. And good luck collecting anything after that. There's nothing left. That, and that's and an important point. And there's sovereign immunity where courts around the world will not let you claim... Anything against a sovereign uh, state. Unless there was a terrorist act. And this was not a terrorist act. No, it's a Under, bad accident. It... it it was a bad accident, unfortunately. Yeah. Love having you on. You're coming back. Anytime. You smell great tonight. It's the scotch. That's what I love. <laughs> okay. Okay. If you like this podcast, can you like, subscribe, share? What the f else do I say? Notifications. Notifications. Thank you very much. Good night. This is a little bit out of our bailiwick, but I love this. Shit. Thank you. See you next week. Good night, folks.